Yeah, thanks for those readings. Um, my name is John, if I haven't met you before, and it's great to see every single one of you here tonight. Uh, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online, um, yeah, I'm thanking God that you're here with us. Um, please pray with me uh, before we have a look at Psalm 107. Father God, thank you so much for your words of life. Please help us now to give you praise and thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 107 starts with this verse. Verse 1, that's where you expect it to start. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, in Christian circles, um, this verse is really quite famous. It's probably familiar to you. You may have seen this verse in all sorts of different places in the form of law art, uh, plaques, fridge magnets, and bookmarks, uh, amongst other things. And um, as I was prepping for this talk, actually, um, I realized that I had seen this verse somewhere close as well. I actually own a bookmark with this verse on it. Here it is, you know, nicely colored in by Claire. Um, but what a good sentiment, right? What a nice sentiment. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the ESV translation. It did get me thinking, though, as famous as this verse is, as common as this verse is, do we actually know what it means and where it comes from other than, yes, we know it comes from Psalm 107, verse 1, from today? Surely it has to be more than a verse on a bookmark, right? And much more than just a good sentiment. Let's be upfront. Many of us know that we should give thanks to the Lord. But when was the last time that we actually stopped for a moment to reflect and really get, give thanks to him for what he's done? Or even still, when was the last time when we really felt the weight of God's love? You know, that it would bring like these strong emotions and feelings that could only lead to praise and thanksgiving. When did we joyfully sing with deep gratitude? I know that's been more difficult, right, with COVID, but hopefully some good news is on the way. If you're anything like me, you will know giving thanks to God is often short-lived uh, and our busy schedules fills up so much of our days, right? It's, real, it's really hard to find time. There's really little time to ponder God's love for us. Uh, our thanks to God can often look like a child who's obliged to say thank you for some gift they may or may not want. But you know, you can tell that they don't really want to say that, nor do they mean it. Well, thank God that we can look at and reflect on Psalm 107 tonight. Um, so please keep your Bibles open to that passage if you've got them. Um, and if you're joining us on the live stream, there's a link there as well to that passage. Tonight we're going to answer two questions. The first one is why we should be thankful. And secondly, how should we be thankful? And hopefully this helps us to reconsider and reflect on our thankfulness to God. Um, so if you have a cl closer look at tonight's passage, you're going to notice that there are four short stories. I love stories. I, I'm sure you do as well. We've got four of them tonight. So I've titled each one. So the first one I've got is The Lost, then The Imprisoned, The Sick, 
and the powerless. And as we read each story, remember that you're reading the Psalms. That's what I want you to do. It's a song, it's poetic, there are many metaphors and imagery and allusions um, and themes. Um, Also remember that this song would have been sung collectively by God's people Israel after their return from exile in Babylon, uh, where they were just oppressed for a long time. Um, So feel what the psalmist, the, the writer of the psalm would have felt and what the Israelites would have felt as they were singing this together. Uh, The other thing I want you to do um, as we read these stories is to see if this is your story at all. Is this my story? You may have just been in a situation similar to them or just like them. And you might have more in common uh, with these characters than you think. So with those things in mind, let's have a look. Let's have a look at this first story, The Lost, starting from verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away, or literally their souls were fading. Uh, Consider their situation, right? These people are lost, they're in a desolate place, and they're in the middle of nowhere in the hot desert. That's sort of what it's felt like in the last couple of days, right? Just picture them. With heavy feet, they take one step after another. They're dehydrated, they're completely exhausted. Actually, they're barely alive, and their situation looks really bad. It looks hopeless. And they're longing for a city where they can just get some basic needs, a city to provide them some safety and security and rest. Reminds us of of the Israelites, doesn't it? Wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, looking for a place to settle, longing for the promised land. I wonder if many of us at some point in our lives have felt really lost. I mean, all of us at some point were lost before we knew God or before God found us. Or maybe we've, we've forgotten about God's love, love and got lost in other things. Are you lost and wondering? What do you do when you're lost and desperate and hungry and on the brink of death? Well, in verse 6, these people, these lost people, these wanderers, they cry out to God. Then they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them from their distress, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. These people cry out to God, and God delivers them. You need to just feel that relief. In verse 7, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. In verse 4, it says, um, there was no way to a city, but now God leads them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. And so, in verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Okay. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Okay. That's the first story. Let's have a look at the second one, the one that I've titled The Imprisoned. Okay? So from verse 10, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he sub- subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. This time, the characters in this story are captive in darkness. And it actually says there, utter darkness or literally the shadow of death. 
mean, they're seriously suffering. But they actually only have themselves to blame. It's self-inflicted. They're at fault. Because what have they done? They've rebelled against God's commands and his plans. So God hands them over to their enemies, to hard labor, and they're struggling at this work. Uh, you see them stumbling as their legs, as their weak legs give way. And it's sad that there's actually no one to help them. Maybe this is your story. You know, I want to live my own way rather than God's way. I don't need him. Or maybe for some of us, we're really struggling with sin. And we continue to rebel against God even though we know it's very wrong. Maybe it's a sin we just can't shake off. Or even worse, maybe this sin is getting out of control. Or maybe we feel like we're trapped and unable to get out. Uh, Maybe it's an addiction of some sort, or whatever it is, right? It feels like no one can help. And plus, we don't want anyone to know about it anyway. You could be in your very, very different situation, right? Where you experience your own darkness. But in this story, those in darkness, in utter darkness, they have nowhere to go, right? They have nowhere to turn, so they cry out to God, Please help me, God! Verse 13, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. And in verse 14, God brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. What freedom! You know, God's love is available even to those who have actively rebelled against God, those who have deliberately sinned against Him. So in verse 15 to 16, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. We're up to our third story. We're getting through. Um, The sick. This is the sick. In our third story, the characters are in distress. They're afflicted, and it's a bit similar to our second story in that it's their fault. You know, It's because of their own rebellion and sin. So from verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction. Literally, it says, became sick because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. You know, there was a time when I wasn't this well. Um, there was a time that I was really sick and admitted to Westmead Hospital with a lung collapse, uh, which is a long story, I'm sure some of you know, uh, but you can ask me about it sometime. But after the surgery, I felt so sick from the pain and, and the drug, drugs that I was on that I actually loathed all food. I didn't feel like eating for like a couple of days. The sick here are in such a terrible way. They don't want to eat anything, and they're so close to death as well. I remember after my surgery, I'm sitting in the hospital bed uh, with tears just rolling down my face because I was just in a lot of pain and um, crying out to God quietly, just please help me, God. I'm sure many of you have felt the pain and distress of sickness, whether it might be your own or maybe it's someone close to you that you love. And it's so hard when it, when it feels like that there's nothing we can do for them. So the sick in this story, right, what do they do? They cry out to God, verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their distress. 
and he saved them, in their trouble, sorry, and he saved them from their distress. Um, and it's interesting here, if you have a look uh, at verse 20, how he saves them. It says he sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Um, it's his spoken words uh, which heals them and gives them another chance at life. And so what are you expecting? I'm sure you're noticing the pattern, right? Um, the people are in distress. Uh, they cry out. God answers by saving them. And so what should they do? They should give thanks to God. Verse 21. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Uh, what do you think the fourth story is about? Uh, the story that I've called the powerless. From verse 23, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. These merchants, you know, they went out to sea for business, maybe, to trade on the uh, ancient global financial markets, you could say. Um, and you can sense that they've done this, you know, many times before. They're, they're experienced businessmen, they're experienced travelers. But then they're confronted with something that they have no control over. They're confronted by God's power. You know, suddenly a violent storm comes upon them and they're being tossed around and thrown up high and, and crashing down again. Imagine facing a storm like that. They look like drunkards staggering and they were at their wit's end, or literally it says their wisdom or skill was nullified by the Lord's storm. See, they have no control. They're completely powerless. And their experience and skill means nothing when they're faced with this storm. And so they have no options, right? Only one. So they cry out to God. And he hears their cry. He stills the storm. And the waves are hushed. And the powerless merchants are brought to safety. So once again, what do they do? What should they do? They should give thanks, right? Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So why should we give thanks? We should give thanks because when we cry out to God, he actually answers us and he saves us. You know, these four stories are about God saving his people from desperation and trouble. It's about God's redemption. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God's people, Israel, had to be redeemed and rescued and delivered time and time again. If you, if you follow their history, you know that they need a rescue out of slavery in Egypt. You know they need a rescue out of wandering in the wilderness for so long, 40 years. And you know they need a rescue from exile in Babylon, amongst other things. And when they were in these situations, right, when they were desperate, when they were lost and they were, they were in these dire situations, they cried out to God and pleaded for help, please help, and God delivered them. You know, we should be thankful that these stories are not only about Israel, but actually about us as well. Um, I wonder if any of these stories were your story. 
Um, even if you feel like that they weren't, um, remember the distress and the trouble was our spiritual state at one point in our lives. Uh, what do you think life without God looks like? Um, this part's actually going to be really hard to say because firstly, it's offensive. And um, secondly, it's hard to say because many of my friends and family are still in trouble and desperate situations just like this, even though they wouldn't think so. Life without God looks like the lost, wandering in the desert. It looks like those imprisoned in utter darkness, the sick drawing near to the gates of death, and the merchants who are suddenly confronted with a power that they have no control over. And if there is no intervention, say, like we know what happens, right? If you remove God from these stories, right, just imagine you took God out of this story. You know how these stories are going to end. So if you haven't already, please call out to our God. Cry out to him in your trouble. And I guarantee you that God is going to hear you and he's going to deliver you. Actually, it doesn't matter what you've done or um, how messed up you think your life is. Even if you think you've reached rock bottom, you can't get any lower, wherever you are, you can cry out to the Lord and he's going to answer you. He's going to hear you. He's going to act because he's good and his love is unfailing. You know, God made sure that he had a way to redeem us from our trouble, redeem us from our sin, which only leads to death. Um, if you didn't know, this psalm of thanksgiving here is actually about Jesus. Um, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, I know. Um, but actually, not just that. The whole Bible is about Jesus. I remember uh, my scripture lessons um, when I used to teach scripture, um, teaching these um, high school kids that the Bible is one big story about how God rescues humanity through Jesus. And that's exactly what it is here. God's unfailing love means he's prepared a redemption story for us, a story of salvation for us. This psalm has so many themes and imagery which we've seen already, but how God rescues mankind is seen in these stories. You know, these stories might not even be real, as in real events, because the genre is poetic, right? It's a song. But they definitely present truths about God and his unfailing love for us. See, Jesus came to feed the thirsty and hungry. We have eyewitness accounts of Jesus feeding the thirsty and hungry, like the feeding of the 5,000. But he provides more than just the physical food for us, um, as he claims to be the living water and the bread of life. Jesus gives us himself right and says that he himself will truly satisfy. And he promises to take us to a city of provision, security, and rest. Jesus also came for those sitting in darkness, those who were imprisoned and chained, those who were slaves to sin and death, have now been freed for new life and righteousness. Um, so Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14 says this, For he, that's God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus also came for the sick as well. 
And we've seen this time and time again in, in the eyewitness accounts, if, you, if you've read them. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago in our baptism services, we heard from Luke 17, right? About the 10 lepers who were healed. And one of them comes back, thanking and praising God for healing him. And Jesus gives him the greatest healing that he needs by giving him faith. In verse 20 of uh, tonight's passage, God sent out his word. Remember, we've had a look at that. And his word in verse 20 is actually personified as a messenger who would be sent out to rescue God's people from sickness and death. Who do you think that might be? In John 1.14, this word, right, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when Jesus' um, disciples are caught in a furious storm, they cry out to him in their distress. Jesus wakes up from his sleep. He rebukes the wind and the waves with his words in Mark 4, and he brings them to safety. You know, Jesus also cries out to God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's with his disciples awaiting his arrest, Um, In Mark 14, Jesus was actually deeply troubled and distressed. And then in verse 36, he cries out to God in his trouble. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He asked for his sufferings and his troubles to be removed, right? But he knows the path that he has to walk. And he's committed to doing God's will. And so Jesus, in his trouble, is led to the cross to die a death that he didn't deserve, taking the sin of the world. But we know that there's more to that story, don't we? He doesn't stay dead, but God delivers him from the grave on the third day. And that's exactly why Jesus came into our world, you know, for this redemption story so that God rescues humanity through his Son. So how could we not give thanks and praise the Lord, right? This is God's unfailing love to us. This is God's wonderful acts for mankind. And this is God's commitment to redeem us. The other question I wanted to um, answer tonight is how should we give thanks in light of what we know? Um, How should we give thanks Uh, so that it's more than just a nice sentiment? Firstly, it's by giving praise and singing this song of thanksgiving. You know, the four stories actually give us guidance on how to be thankful and how to show our appreciation for God. Um, You've heard this refrain repeated time and time again throughout this passage, and I feel like I've said it so many times, but we also haven't said it enough, I think. So verse 8, let's go back to it. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Um, the original actually is closer to, and I don't, I don't know Hebrew, well, very little Hebrew, so this is the commentators, right? Oh, that they would praise the Lord for his unfailing love and the wonderful acts for the sons of Adam. Um, I feel as though the word acts there is much better translation than deeds 
um, for God's work of redemption. And we should praise God for that. But this refrain right in verse 8, it's repeated again and again and again in verses 15, 21, 31. And there's a reason for this constant repetition, right? We should keep praising God for his unfailing love and his wonderful acts. Uh, Not just today or tonight or tomorrow, but time and time again. This is a song that we need to keep singing. We need to keep praising God. Our praise and our thankfulness is not just in solitude either. It's in unity. It's together. Um, Israel would have finally gathered together um, again after their hard time in exile. Um, After their exile, actually, they would have gathered together in thousands to exalt and to praise God. Verse 32. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So the question I want to ask you is, are you going to sing together with the redeemed people of God? We should also give thanks by sacrifice. Uh, In verse 22 it says, Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Uh, We should give to the Lord what he is due, certainly. But thank offerings and peace offerings in the Old Testament were voluntary and offered when one person wanted to. You know, when a person wanted to show that he was really grateful to God, that's when he would offer these. We can offer ourselves as sacrifices to God using our skills and our service and wealth and so forth, right? But I want to push even further than that and say he demands even more. He actually demands our lives to him. He demands our whole lives and he demands our undivided worship uh, Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Think about what that might mean for you. I want to talk about giving thanks when it's tough, uh, when you feel like it's really difficult to give thanks. Um, From verse 33 to the rest of the psalm that we're looking at tonight, you notice that it doesn't follow the pattern that we're we're used to in these stories. So what's actually happening in this section? Uh, What what is it about and um, how does it add to our psalm? Right? Well, it's actually about God's providence and power to give to us, right? But also to take away. Um, So from verse 33 it says, He, that's God, turned rivers into deserts, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and a fruitful land into a salt waste. And the, and the reason given there is because of the wickedness of those who live there. And then God reverses those things in the next couple of verses. Maybe the wicked people cried out to God in their distress, right? But whatever the reason, just like that, God turns deserts back to rivers, the dry ground back to springs, And he brings the hungry to live there. And he gives them a city to dwell in and flourish in. Then the people start farming and doing what they do. And God's blessing is there. Look how much fruit there is. Look how many herds there are. And the people grow in number. It's looking really good, isn't it? But you know what happens, right, when things are going really well. It's so easy for us to start to become arrogant 
and a bit full of ourselves, right? Lifting ourselves up, we start attributing this wealth and health and goodness to ourselves and our own efforts rather than thanking God for it. The city starts flourishing, but they no longer seek God or thank him. So in verse 39 to 40, then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. Uh, He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. Then just like that, right? The people are humbled. These nobles, these princes, perhaps um, it's the governing leadership, those in power who have become thankless and conceited. So what happens to them? God leaves them to wander, like those people who were wandering in our first story before they were saved by God. What do they need? They need to cry out to him again, don't they? But God shows his unfailing love again, because in verse 41, he, li- he lifts the needy out of their affliction and increases their number again. And um, of course it's the needy who cry out to God. So, um, as we live in this broken world, we know that there are going to be times when things are going really well and, and things are going really badly. Uh, when there are going to be times when things are easy and it's really hard, when we feel blessed and sometimes we're going to feel like everything's falling apart and we might even feel like we're cursed. And um, I don't ever want to downplay how distressing and Um, utterly difficult and horrible a person's life or situation could be. But I do want to say this. Whatever your troubles, right, whatever your distress, you know what they are, keep crying out to our God, right? And give thanks to him because his love is unfailing and your salvation is certain. You should also give thanks with your story. God's story of redemption is a story that has to be told. Um, There's a need and there's a call for your testimony. God's story of saving humanity. This mustn't be censored or kept uh, secret or hidden. This story mustn't sit on our bookshelves gathering dust. Let's not add to the silence, right? Our voice has to be heard. Uh, Right at the beginning of the psalm, actually, tonight's psalm, verse 2 and 3, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those who are redeemed from the hand of the foe. You know, your story of crying out and having the Lord answer, this amazing story, right? Mustn't take it for granted or allow to lose value. Think about your conversion story. Share your testimony. I love hearing people's testimonies. Keep sharing your story the one where you cried out and God saved. And this song, you know, it can't just be sung by anyone. Only the redeemed can genuinely sing this song. Did you notice that? See, in verse 42, it says, The upright see and rejoice. But what happens to the wicked there? All the wicked shut their mouths. Those who have been redeemed Those who have been saved, they will praise God and thank God. But the wicked, they have nothing to praise God for. They have nothing to thank God for. And they have no story to tell. My hope is that one day they too will have a story to tell. And finally, 
I want you to give thanks with deep reflection. Um, Psalm 107 is about giving thanks to the Lord for his good and his love endures forever. And it's not just a verse on a bookmark, it's not just a nice sentiment, but a truth about God which we can marvel at and praise him for and deeply reflect on. You know, ultimately, thankfulness is not going to come from me telling you how to be thankful, right? Necessarily. But it's going to, be, it's going to come from reflecting, your, your time of reflection on God's unfailing love. You know, our thankfulness comes out of gratitude for the faith with which we have received. And that's actually what you see in this song. You know, people who were once desperate and afflicted and in trouble, whatever it was, they cry out to God, don't they? God hears them and he saves them. And so the thanksgiving and the praise begin. And so to finish, the psalmist here exhorts us or urges us to ponder and to reflect on the loving deeds of the, of the Lord. In verse 30, uh, 43, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. See, it's a wise thing to pay careful attention to these stories, these wonderful acts of God's unfailing love, and to keep pondering and reflecting on his goodness to us. Oh, that they would praise the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful acts for the sons of Adam. Let me pray. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you so much that your love is unfailing. And when we cry out to you, you hear us and you deliver us. Thank you for your son Jesus, through whom all this is possible and it's guaranteed. Help us to give praise and thank you in all circumstances. Help us to tell of your wonderful acts to others, that they too may do so. We, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.